Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, or Megaphone. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we have a little bit of a different format, with a special guest appearance to discuss some World Junior Hockey. As I mentioned earlier this week, we have a special guest tonight to discuss some World Juniors, and his name is Will Scouch. He is at Scouching on Twitter.com. Will, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. Anytime. Uh, anytime for you, Harrison. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so, Will, why don't you tell us tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, kind of introduce yourself so folks who aren't familiar with your work can kind of get a little bit more acquainted. Sure. So I started up scouting in around 2016, but the last, I'd say, two drafts have really been my sort of bread and butter. Uh, what I'm trying to do is use a data-focused approach to the draft, uh, really to evaluate talent uh, wherever it might be. So I'm trying to sort of cut through as many biases as I possibly can uh, to to really get to the meat of who's available in a draft and how it compares to previous uh, drafts historically and really try to get an accurate gauge of exactly what the landscape looks like. Um, And, you know, uh, so I do a lot of data work, uh, mostly done online, and then there's a bunch of video work that I've been booting up uh, for the last year. So on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash scouching, uh, it's basically the meat of the channel is scouching reports, which is basically, you know, 10, 15 minute long, long form reports on a specific player. So last year I did 13, uh, tracked seven games worth of data for all of those players and just sort of put together a report uh, that were from players from all over the draft. So, you know, Vasily Podkolzin was one way at the top end of the draft, and a guy like Arseny Gritsyuk was, a, I believe, a fifth-round pick of the Devils. And there was a guy that I did a profile on that ended up going undrafted. So, you know, there, there's all I like to sort of run the full gamut as much as I possibly can. And one thing I'm really excited about this year that I didn't have last year was uh, I'm tracking data and watching way more games of of these players. And I have about... I think I'm touching 60 players where there's at least some data that I've tracked from in-game. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to you know, building that out more. And then towards June, um, you know, obviously patrons will get first access, wink, wink, Harrison. Uh, but uh, but everyone, you know, publicly will be uh, receiving all that stuff uh, around June. So I'm really looking forward to how that ends up looking towards the end of the year because that's been really exciting. So data combined with what I'm watching really trying to understand the game more because I never played at a super high level. Um, so I really want to try to understand what it is that scouts see and sort of work my way backwards from that and work with data to try to make a better picture of the landscape than what you might find elsewhere. Generally speaking, there's been something of a mismatch at times between um, scouting that's that's currently out there and then some of the outcome-based uh data results that we see. There are some some folks who do scouting analysis and they tend to focus a lot on inputs, but maybe they kind of give the inputs a little bit more precedence than say um, rates and stuff. Do you think that that's something that's still a void that needs to be filled? Well, I think that's kind of the, the magic of kind of what I'm 
doing, uh, it's kind of interesting because you have to weigh all of those things a certain amount, you know, and trying to find that right balance is really hard. Uh, I, I have a, I have a hard time uh, with with certain things, you know, trying to understand uh, how to properly evaluate a defenseman is often a problem. You know, how what's the difference between evaluating a player's current talent and then evaluating their where they might be in a few years? You know, one thing I've really learned this year is kind of identifying what I like to see in the sport you know i think i think the more i watch the more i realize that there are different ways of playing hockey successfully as well like you don't there's no one way to win a hockey game there's a multiple multitude of different ways to do it and i find that when you look at outcomes like you said i find that a lot of outcome based evaluation of say oh look at who this team drafted and look what happened to their career you know i look at that and go well what happened with the team that drafted them how were they in junior and what happened to them when they were, you know, put up to another level or put up at the next level? You know, usually I don't find that players drafted in the top 10 with some exceptions are guys who I, you know, would expect to not have good NHL careers, but then something happens, whether it's injuries or usage issues or um, developmental issues or, or what have you. There's a, there's a ton of things that can, that can steer players in different directions. Um, you know, I think it kind of misses the point when you look at that retrospectively with any sort of, uh, you know, of a lens, whether you're a fan or a fan of another team. So uh, you have to kind of weigh the outcome, you know, and realize what kind of was the, was the equation that went into that. Um, so I'm trying to do that as well. You know, I, I look at when I watch games, I'm trying to view, how is this player playing? You know, uh, someone, a great example from last year was Arthur Kaliev. You know, he scored a ton of points, but I kept hearing from people, you know, oh, he does this not great and this isn't great. And he's still a negative impact player on goal differential and blah, 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 all that stuff, uh, which I, mean, I actually think he was a very positive player on goal differential at even strength, but we'll leave it at that. Um, I just think that what, you know, you have to look at that and go, okay, well, this guy is still producing and where is it coming from, you know, and are the negatives that people are saying really such a major red flag that you can sort of push that player down your draft board relatively significantly. And with him specifically, there was a lot of situations where I went, you know what, it probably would have been best for him to maybe move his feet a little bit more. And maybe uh, this passing decision wasn't the best one and maybe this and maybe that, but then you look at the pros and you go, well, if you can accurately nurture those positives, and you can and you can work with that player over time to to sort of negate the negatives as best you can, but focus on 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 the positives and and sort of giving him confidence to continue being the player that he is. Uh, you know, then you're looking at someone that could potentially be a very very special scorer, both at even strength and, and on the power play. Even if you have to live with maybe some defensive warts, you know, at the end of the day, all you're trying to do playing this game is score more goals than your opponent. And he, you know, he's a good example of a player where there was a lot of negative stuff said about him. But the more I watched of him and the more I saw what he's capable of, I do agree with some of it, but I find that you end up losing a lot of the positives. Another one. Uh, sorry for the long answer, but another one from last year that really kind of has shifted my own thinking on this was Nolan Foot. You know, that's a player that I had ranked very low last year. I had questions about his skating. Uh, I had questions about his injury history. I had questions about his creativity offensively. I thought his shot was kind of what he did. Um, and I, I still think that he was picked a little high. But at the same time, 
I can admit that that I kind of misread just how much of a positive his positives are. And and I think that what Tampa's doing with him is betting that at that those positives are going to be captured long term. So the more I've watched, the more I've kind of evolved on that. And and the more I've kind of shifted things to think about, you know, how a player plays and how how that player playing might need to be in in sort of it, it needs to resonate with sort of what the NHL team is trying to achieve when when they draft that player because when there's a mismatch I find that's when there's problems and I think that that whole context issue is often a challenge when we're talking about prospects because in a lot of ways I think that there are folks who actually have very useful skills maybe of course they like you said they aren't in the right situations uh, to really make the best use of that and the outcomes aren't there or a lot of guys also just happen to be very unfortunate or unlucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of had an example of that this year with uh, with Neil Pionk, who coming into coming into this team, I, I got to be honest, I had very low expectations because I had seen him with the Ranger, and I don't know that that dude ever made one single like zone entry denial. <laughs> um, right. You know, it, it was obvious that Pionk has or had offensive skill. But of course, things about his game that never really translated. And of course, I think the Rangers are pretty bad. Um, oh, to be blunt, they just don't really develop a whole lot of high-end defensemen, uh, mm-hmm. barring a couple of notable Adam Fox. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy kid, that one. Yep, yep. Um, sorry, sorry, Flames and Canes fans. <laughs> Canes fans, I don't think they can really complain too yeah. much. But yeah, I think sure Flames okay. fans are <laughs> probably yeah. when you've got guys like Jakob Slavin. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you see Pionk's trajectory is as noticeably increased to where I, I was kind of worried that he'd be like an eighth defenseman or like a top four guy. And I was a little bit surprised. So always interesting to see those sort of late bloomers, so to speak. Of course, recently we just had the conclusion of the World Juniors um, where Canada ended up winning and beating Russia. And I know that <clears throat> both of us have kind of been doing a little bit of catch up. But Will, that you saw, um, of course, we, we don't want to give too much weight to these tournaments because they are very small sample sizes and a lot of people tend to think and read a little bit too much into them but what guys for just conversational sake kind of stuck out to you yeah the the thing that was really great about this year was that there were a lot of of uh 2020 eligibles in this year's draft so not just not even just first time eligibles guys like uh Tim Stutzler was a big one Alexi Lafreniere of course Quentin Byfield was in this tournament but even guys who are entering the draft again uh you know who you know Christian Tanus was a guy on Finland who not too many people outside the prospect world were aware of uh and he's a player who after last year's draft I was pretty surprised wasn't drafted he made a list that I put on a video of unplay undrafted players that you might want to keep an eye on um, and he made that list for a reason. He he was a really, really dynamite player for Finland as a guy who I think could very well get drafted this this June. Uh, we've seen double overagers have a great world junior and get drafted relatively high. Uh, Igor Korshkov comes to mind. Um, but beyond that, I mean, just looking at draft eligibles, to me, I'm immediately drawn to the German team. Uh, I, I'm still catching up on their footage, but, you know, you it, it did a lot to convince me that not only is Tim Stutzla a, a top, at the very least, top 10 
I have him in my top five, and I think that's where he's going to stay. Um, not only is he, you know, sort of the crown jewel of that program right now, um, but Lucas Reichel and John Jason Paterka are two guys who were on that team with him and really stood out as as really, really promising players in a tournament for players, you know, a couple of years older than them. You know, both of those players struck me as guys that I might really take a strong look in the first round on. I'm a really big fan of Lucas Reichel specifically. Um, I really love John Jason Paterka as well. And if he's there after I'd say 40th overall, then that's a really good value pick. But Lucas Reichel's a guy who, you know, was really impressive to me with just how creative he can be off the wing, uh, you know, an aggressive four checker, really, really great, fluid, aggressive skater. Um, you know, I think he has a really, really high upside with just how creative he can be and how he can get shots from dangerous areas. Um, I, he's one of the more underrated players in the whole draft for me, and I came away pretty impressed, especially because he wasn't on a line with Stutzla. He was, uh, I could be mistaken, but I believe he was playing most of his time with Dominic Bach, which is also a good line mate of his, but he he really kind of stood out to me as well. Um, obviously, Alexi Lafreniere kind of put on a clinic as to why he should be likely the first overall pick this year. Um, and I know that, you know, there weren't, I don't, I, I, like you said, you don't like to draw too many conclusions. So, and I, and I don't mean to come off like this next player was disappointing, um, but I just wished that I got to see more of Quentin Byfield in this tournament. Um, he didn't play a ton uh, in the gold medal game. He didn't play a second. Um, I, I've just wished that, you know, and from what I saw of him, I thought he looked like he belonged in this tournament, but you know what? Uh, the thing I always keep telling people as a cautionary tale is I, at last I checked, I believe there's a 10 and a half month difference between Byfield and Lafreniere uh, and Lafreniere a year ago was barely utilized on this Canadian team. And a lot of people, you know, even the coach of the team was questioning his work ethic and, and how aggressive he was and how hungry he was for the puck and all this hockey stuff that you hear all the time. And this year he came back and he was the MVP of the tournament. So now, I don't know if Byfield will be back next year. I doubt it. Uh, but I'm just trying to get across the point that, you know, that age difference is so vast in the scheme of, especially in this tournament. Uh, you know, Byfield is, is I believe, a month away from 2021 eligibility. So we're talking about a guy who is extremely young in this tournament. Um, and I wished I just saw more of him. And I'm I'm, I'm a little bit skittish about him potentially being undervalued in terms of, evaluating his talent versus Lafreniere but I mean when you look at Lafreniere in this tournament I don't know what else really needs to be said he was a really just spectacular two-way player uh just plays the game you know every time I watch him play I always think this is the kind of hockey player Hockey Canada wants right just aggressive on the wings along the boards battling for pucks all the time but when the puck is in the open ice you have the space you have the time, you have the skating ability, you have the skill, you know, you can, you can win all those little funny little puck battles where all you need to do is just get on your, get the puck on your stick a little bit ahead of the defenseman and you can get around him. You know, he does all those things so exceptionally well for someone his age that, that it made it pretty clear as to why he's the number one ranked player. But when you look at Byfield in reference to him, you might see a completely different profile coming out of this tournament, but he's extremely young. And they put him in a role where it didn't seem like it was too conducive for a ton of success at this tournament. I also don't think he'll be back next year. I think he's probably going to be good enough for the NHL. But if he's back next year, I would certainly expect him to be on that tier of a Lafreniere if he comes back. And just, I guess, one more on the other end of that. 
Um, you know, I was, you know, the two Swedes was Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond. You know, some people are kind of cool on Raymond and, and personally I can see the logic behind that. Um, but you know what? I thought that Holtz always has struck me as a flashier player, um, a player with a lot more raw offense to his game and kind of sacrifices the defensive side of things um, almost to a fault, I would say. And that's coming from me. Uh, whereas Lucas Raymond just seems like a really well-refined player who's just kind of waiting for the right time. Uh, I just think he's a little bit pigeonholed with Frolunda this year. I don't know if he's going to be an AHL player next year or what, but I felt that in his relatively limited usage on this Swedish team this year, he looked really good. He was driving play along the boards. He was using that skill along the boards. He's really quick on his edges. Uh, you know, he had a few really impressive sort of gifts that popped up on Twitter over the course of the tournament of him going around players in his own creative way. So I think he's going to be just fine. I think the argument about where he will be drafted this year you can have that discussion. I still have him at number three because I just think the upside is huge with him. His data, the data that I've collected on him is quite a bit ahead of the two other major high-end Swedes in this year's draft. So I'm pretty safe in saying that in terms of getting a complete player with offensive upside, he's probably the one you want to go for. And with Alex Holtz, the last one uh, that, I'll, that I'll go over. He, he looked really good. He's an aggressive four checker. He's good on his feet. Um, I don't really think he's this one trick pony where all he does is score goals and rip shots from wherever on the ice. You know, there's more that he brings to it. He plays the right way. I think he's going to, he's going to enable himself to score a lot at the NHL level at some point. Um, you know, he, he doesn't really have a lot of bad habits uh, outside of the defensive end. And you can refine that defensive end similar to how, um, not on the same level maybe, but similar to an Arthur Kaliev. You can work with the faults the player has if the positives are so, so positive. You know, some people have him top five, that's Holtz, uh, maybe top six, seven, eight. I don't know if I would put him that that high in, in, in the in the draft this year, but certainly if you want that offense, offense, offense outlook and have an aggressive winger who can actually skate around the ice pretty well when he doesn't have the puck, uh, then then he's probably a really good bet for you as well. So changing gears, we've talked about some of the positive developments of the tournaments. Of the players and teams that you've had a chance to check out, which squads for you or which players for you were maybe a little bit underwhelming? Uh, I think most people already have seen that Team USA sort of dropped the ball. Who else might fall under that category? You know, this tournament almost went kind of how I expected it to go. But I think that if there was a disappointment, it would be the U.S. team. Uh, and I don't, again, I don't I don't think it was necessarily the the something that is necessary to you know oh we need to have a summit in in ann arbor to to go over how we develop young players i, I don't think like we just watched the the best crop of usa national team development program players get drafted into the nhl ever it, and 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 the problem i think you know i think that if i'm the u.s team next year maybe you come back with a different coach you know, they were underplaying guys like Trevor Zegris, who had, you know, almost two points per game. And to my eye was one of the best players in the whole frickin' tournament. Uh, and they were really kind of limiting his minutes, at least early on. Same thing with Arthur Kaliev. And both of those guys were some of the top scorers on the team. Uh, Alex Turcott was sort of limited to third line minutes. Cole Caulfield was separated from Alex Turcott. 
Um, their defense kind of really tried to walk the line between maybe they left more offensive defensemen at home, uh, which might have helped enable guys like Cole Caulfield's offense. And they went for more defensive defensemen on on that side, more the big, physical, tough guys. And I that that probably is the lineup where I would kind of question things. Guys like Bodie Wild was left, were left at home, um, and I know that I'm a little biased in favor of him. But they didn't even bother to invite a guy like Dominic Vensori to camp. They barely played Cam York in this year's uh, in this year's tournament. So I think there's a lot of sort of systematic things that kind of didn't give them the best chance to succeed. Uh, but at the same time, I watched this U.S. team play, and I just can't help but think that the game they played against Finland where they got eliminated, they just got, I don't know if it was outcoached or what, but the Finnish team just completely and utterly locked them down. It, it wasn't, it, I don't think it was that the U.S. was just never really getting their chances because they just, you know, pissed it all away. I don't think that's what happened. I think that it was more like the Finns just collapsed in in the neutral zone they made that brick wall of players up the middle of the ice and when i watch a lot of that u.s team play guys like trevor zegris guys like alex turcott they love the middle of the ice they love to move up the middle with that open space and sort of just carve up and trip up defensive systems and i just didn't think that that was really working against that Finnish team they seemed like they were extremely well prepared to just keep the boat afloat when they were up one nothing and do it in such a calm way that the U.S. team just really didn't have any answers. They took some bad penalties. They had some, you know, issues with discipline and all that stuff. And that'll sink any team at this tournament. I'm from Canada. I've seen many Hockey Canada teams falter at the hands of penalties and just poorly disciplined play and just just not having their heads in the game. I, I've been there. Uh, and sometimes this happens. And, you know, I looked at the Finnish team this year and said, well, if they're going to have to win, they don't have a tremendous amount of high-end elite super talent that they sometimes have years in years past. But they did have a really, really cohesive group that really countered that American team really well. So I, I obviously really thought this U.S. team was really stacked and loaded, but certainly I did not expect that that game against Finland would have gone the way that it did with such a high powered offense that the U S had to see it just kind of literally go to zero uh, was, was really, really surprising to me. And again, I don't think it's like a, such a disaster that they need to re-examine everything about their program next year's or sorry, this year's NTDP isn't the best team they've ever put forward. There's a few notable names that should be top 100 picks in this year's draft for sure. Uh, but next year's team, and from what I've heard, the team after that are absolutely lights out. The U.S. is churning really high-level talent out, and I think that you don't want to you don't want to try to fix something when it's not really that broken. I think they just had a bad game. Their tournament, there was some stuff that wasn't optimized, um, certainly uh, because I mean they really should have been a team that really ran through this tournament. But when it came down to you know when push came to shove against that Finnish team, I think they just really got locked down and maybe they reevaluate some player personnel decisions. Maybe they reevaluate a few things here and there, but uh, I mean, I've seen stuff where it's completely off the deep end and it's a total failure by that team. And it's, you know, sometimes really high level teams get eliminated in the quarterfinals. I've seen it happen to Sweden. I've seen it happen to Russia. I've seen it happen to Finland and this year. I guess it was just the U S's turn, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of hard for, a lot of fans too, except that this being an extremely small sample size and hockey being 
stupidly chaotic um, with as much talent and as, as many, actually a rather limited sample size of, of tactical, tactical adjustments that you can make. Um, once you're locked into a game, it's pretty much do or die at that point. And mm-hmm. with so few opportunities to, um, somebody is going to have to pay the price. And I think that maybe fans were a little bit spoiled from the past couple of draft classes, especially last year, uh, where it was just, I mean, that's, I've gotten live and to watch them essentially trample over an Adam Fox captain Harvard squad. Like it was nothing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. crazy because a lot of those kids are two or three years younger than the college kids. Yeah. But they showed absolutely no fear against physically and, you know, more mature uh, opponents. So yeah, interesting tournament. And I think that obviously they over overreact too much. I don't think that they have all that much to worry about. It's not like they lost against some crappy low end squad. Um, <laughs> Look, it, it, you're you're in the U.S., and I'll, if you have a lot of American listeners, I'll say this: you look at the U.S. roster. Here are the names that could come back for next year if they're not in the NHL: Cole Caulfield, Cam York, Alex Turcott, Trevor Zegras, John Beecher, Spencer Knight, Dustin Wolf, Arthur Kaliev, Bobby Brink, and Nick Nick Robertson. I, even if half of those players return that's still an absolutely loaded first unit or two lines of players and a goaltender. I mean, Spencer Knight is almost certain to be back next year unless something miraculous happens in Florida or I guess disastrous for Sergei Bobrovsky. But that that is alone enough to sort of bring some level of comfort. Uh, that is a ridiculous level of talent that they can bring back. And they had talent that they left behind at home. So I wouldn't be too... It's obviously disappointing. Losing sucks. I, I understand, um, but you know, again, like we've been talking about off the top of the of, of this episode, you you can't overreact to this tournament. You can't take too much away from it unless there is legitimately, you know, systematic issues that your program is displaying. And I think the only issues I would really say from the U.S. is that they didn't trust to me their best players, capital B, right? Trevor Zegras, Alex Turcott. You know, maybe they didn't earn the ice time or whatever you want to say. Um, but those are players where when I watch them, I go compared to guys like Curtis Hall and Jack Drury and Parker Ford and even Shane Pinto. I look at those players and go guys like Zegras and Turcott and, and Kaliev and Robertson should be out there all night long. And those other guys are just kind of your role players. And it seemed like for some of those players, it was the inverse and maybe sort of trusting your sort of best on paper talent uh even if they might not be quote unquote earning their ice time might be something that the u.s might want to think about moving forward hey a common refrain for jets fans trusting your best players regardless (laughs) of uh regardless of some of your personal biases we we got a lot of that in toronto too yep (laughs) (laughs) a lot of that but will thank you so much for hopping on this evening we greatly appreciate your insights um, as always, guys, be sure to check out his Patreon. Uh, what is the URL for that? Uh, Patreon.com slash Scouching. It's a really handy nickname. Scouching it, is just so universal. No one thought of it until I came along. So, ha. <laughs> yes, Dina says you are all beginning to realize. Um, <laughs> Will, thanks again so much for hopping on, and we really appreciate you. Anytime. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and as always, have a good night, and go Jets go!